What's up, bros? Siege here. Just giving you guys a little heads up before the episode. This was recorded before the new wave of resistance and protests, but we still want to make sure that our voices are heard and that it is known that we support and we encourage our listeners. Follow the Black Lives Matter movement. Visit blacklivesmatter.com to learn how to donate, sign petitions, and protest safely. You can also check out Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block, Know Your Rights Camp, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Communities United Against Police Brutality, and the ACLU to learn more about the cause. Defund the police, Black Lives Matter, and enjoy the episode. When the What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Bruh Meets World. World. Your boy Meets World Fancast, episode 84. I'm Siege. And I'm your boy, Tony Coitus. Today, we have a guest. Hey! What's good? Cool. I didn't know when it was cool to jump in. Hey, uh, everybody. I'm Sav Rogers, and uh, I'm stoked to be here. Sav, why don't you tell the audience your history with Boy Meets World? Is this a show you know well? Is this something that was beloved in your childhood? Yeah, uh, I watched as many reruns as I was afforded uh, by the Disney Channel in syndication. <laughs> uh, that's about the extent to which I've seen Boy Meets World. Though I would say I was like a fan as a kid. I would watch it anytime it was on, but definitely uh, not so diehard to start a whole podcast about it. Uh, more of a Full House fan in that regard. We're fans of the whole TGIF lineup over here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, if you guys don't think every Friday night I was watching ABC from for the entire 90s, I would say, I, I you're crazy. <laughs> I mean, that was... <laughs> so the episode we're talking about is pretty interesting, I would say. And I'm glad we have a guest on here for this episode because it's a doozy. It is a lot. Okay, I, I know we're going to get into like the details of the episode, but just like your, your just raw hot take of this episode, how do you feel that it accomplished what it was trying to? Just your initial impressions. So yeah, this is a this is a doozy of an episode, as as you said. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, essentially, this is the episode where uh, Corey and Sean dress up like women to try to understand what it's like to go through the world as a woman. And I think while it's definitely well intentioned, uh, a lot of elements did not age super well, especially as we take the lives and dignity of transgender people into the conversation. Uh, and I'm a trans guy. So, you know, I know a little bit about that. I, I, I feel like maybe a trans woman would have different perspectives uh, on this episode and on this topic, but my goodness, there's a lot to unpack here. We watched it together live and there were a few moments where uh, Sav and I just had to pause because it was like, <laughs> let's just take that scene in for a moment. Right. And like, I'm no stranger to projects that don't age well by most people's standards. Uh, for the uninitiated, I'm the director of a documentary called Chasing Chasing Amy. I gave a whole TED talk about how Chasing Amy positively affected my life as a queer kid in Kansas with virtually no resources or connection to many LGBTQ people. And uh, so I'm no stranger to things that don't feel like they age well, but this was, even I had to like pause. <laughs> I'm so excited to get into the details. Speaking of that, do you want to begin with our tell me about it? Tell me about it. 
Tell me all about the world. Sean and Corey dress as girls. Lonnie gives dating the world. Good for you. I like it. It I rhymed <laughs> and, and there was thought put into it. And we always appreciate it. Does that. this happen every episode? Every, every episode, episode, I take Billy wow. Joel's tell, me, tell Her About It and I turn it into a quick synopsis <laughs> of the episode. I don't know when this started, but we've never stopped it. That's amazing. I, I am I need to start listening regularly just for, for that aspect of it. All right, so this is season four, episode 14, Chick Like Me. The war between the sexes starts heating up at John Adams High when the boys realize that girls expect different things when they go out on a date. When it's suggested to Corey that his school newspaper column, which is a tad bit boring, get spiced up with an idea of dating and sexual harassment based on the book they're reading in Mr. Feeney's class, Black Like Me, coming back to that, by the way. After Corey emerges from the bathroom in full dress up, it's decided that Sean would make a better girl since he studies them more carefully. Making his debut at school, Sean, now Veronica, was Boisky, immediately gets asked out by Gary, one of the school's more well-known Lotharios. Sean soon finds out what it's like to push off a teen boy's advances. Meanwhile, Eric tries to teach Lonnie how to get along with city men. Sorry, that was so long and complicated. But <laughs> that was the synopsis that they gave me. <laughs> I want to I want to touch on the side uh, story too between uh, Eric and and Lonnie. Oh, we talk about it all. Be- so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there's a lot to like unpack there as well. I. Uh, I like felt bad for her and like how mean people were. And it was like, I don't know a dude alive who like someone being too friendly would like, that would scare. The, I, I mean, maybe it's like a, it like a mind game being too friendly. That's the point. It was her <laughs> being too much of herself and having to restrict that so that she can like appease men. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but she seems lovely. Who wouldn't, I don't, I don't understand. Men are awful. I, there- <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. Men are completely awful, and I think part of this podcast is acknowledging that. <laughs> Can I say something real fast before we get too far in the episode? I just want to say that when I saw that we were doing this episode, initially, I got excited because as a kid, I remembered liking this episode. And I have to say, there are still bits and pieces of this episode that I'm walking away with like, I can see what you were trying to do and I'm kind of mm-hmm. here for it. Like in the end, Sean does learn a lesson about how to treat women better. And that's a lesson these characters need to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. I'm really excited to get into the details because my initial impression was excitement, but now I'm, I'm rewatching it. I'm seeing how much of it is problematic. But that's the thing though, is like things can age poorly and you can still see what they were trying to do and what the intention was. And maybe even what the effect was like, if there were young men who watched this episode and were like, wow, this is not okay behavior. I'm going to call that a win in, in that capacity. Um, but you know, life is pretty nuanced and the, and the representations of trans people just weren't really there at the time <laughs> that uh, the show was being made or there wasn't really a, a cultural fundamental understanding of, of the trans experience. So like, I'm not surprised that was a blind spot, but I'm also like, yay, if that would made boys be nicer to girls, like that, that's something that I learned doing the chasing Amy documentary was like, it wasn't that they just like people like came away knowing more about LGBTQ people. They learned like how to be nicer to girls watching that movie, which was like a side effect I didn't even think about. So like, it's fascinating how many people though, 
need TV shows and movies to tell them how to not be terrible to women. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I'm going to say, Savvy, you're way more forgiving than we are, especially me, because I came in here ready to rip this episode, not only because of its representation or what it says, because you're right. I think there should be uh, moments where we acknowledge the the positive that it did, yeah. But there are just so many strikes that this movie has. <laughs> I, no, I mean, and I totally agree. But that's just my disposition is like trying to see like where where were the benefits, what good came of it before I'm just like, yeah, fuck this, this is canceled, you know? Because I think that's easy to do. But like, God, I mean. It, there are so many people who now don't understand anything about trans people. So the idea that they were kind of hitting on some things in the, in this episode of boy meets world is totally surprising to me. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'm excited to to process it all with y'all. Yeah. Should we start like, where do you guys want to get started with this? Cause I really do want to break apart this episode bit by bit. All right, so what we can start a little bit with is we'll do our roll call. And uh, for those who don't know, roll call is where we talk about the guest stars in this episode um, and kind of break down each one of their characters. And I want to start off with Katie Wright, who uh, plays Debbie in this episode, who is the girl who introduces us to the problem of... um, the way boys behave on dates. She was. Uh, what do com- you guys think about Debbie? Debbie? I love Debbie because Debbie just simply complained that she wanted to be treated like a person. And my favorite part of this was to pay, like she was like, you know, guys are like this and guys are like that, and it's just like it was too much. And Topanga's like, well, not all guys are like that, referring to Corey. And Corey looks to Sean overhearing this and is like, see, like, like I'm a good guy. And Sean quickly, like, gives him shit. He's like, that's not a good thing, bro. It's not a good thing that you're an exception to the rule that men want to hook up. And that, I was just like, whoa, why, why was that a thing that needed to be inserted into the episode? I, I don't know. At first, it was, it was my first inkling to where Sean's you know, evolution was going, but it was just interesting that Corey got ostracized for being decent. Uh, it's also really funny to me because uh, with Debbie's introduction, we see, first of all, Topanga talk to another woman, which she doesn't really do very Ever. often on this show, but we see Topanga talk to another woman and what they are bonding over is the mistreatment uh, that they have by other boys, which I think is very telling that the one thing that these girls can all agree on is how terrible other boys behave. And the idea of consent is brought up consent, from Debbie. Yes. And I thought that was crazy because this revolution of teaching consent has been recent, but we will see that as early as like the mid nineties, they were like, no, we understand what consent is. You guys just ignore it. Wow. I'd never thought about that before. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, it, it, it is amazing what these like 90s sitcoms get right and what they don't get right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, who who wrote the episode? Was it a guy or a girl? The episode is written by a guy named Steve Hibbert. Okay. I think he is kind of like he got the Cliff Notes version of Feminism 101. You know what I mean? He's just like, women like to be treated as people. Yes. Right. Women like uh, consent and to have their ideas heard. Yes. Women need men to instruct them how best to survive this world of men. No. <laughs> right. It's interesting that we talked about consent because there is this, there's a moment where Debbie's like, you know, 
uh, Sean says to her, you know, what are you looking for out of a date? And she's like, well, interesting conversation and to make a, a connection with the person. And Sean says, you're not looking to make out. And she's like, well, maybe I am, but that's, you know, shouldn't be expected because we're on a date. Sean's like, well, how am I supposed to know if you don't just clearly say it? And so it's interesting because this episode isn't about consent, but what it actually comes down to is a woman feeling like a man is, you know, approaching on her personal space without the consent needed and a guy being just obtuse as to where that consent is coming from. I was going to say not only obtuse, angry. Like he is like angry. <laughs> like yeah. the, the tension goes high when she's just like, we tell you all the time and you don't listen. He's like, this is what you get when you try to be honest with women. Yeah. <laughs> Why even try to date guys at all then? Like it's so like just <laughs> passive to her feelings. About it. Do you think that uh, guys and girls are looking for the same things on dates? Well, girls are looking for an evening of good conversation and, you know, the sense that you've made a genuine connection with another human being. You're not interested in making out? Well, maybe I am and maybe I'm not, but it shouldn't be expected because I went on a date with you. So how are we supposed to know what's okay? We'll let you know. Well, you don't let us know very clearly. Yes, we do. You just don't listen. You're too busy planning your next move to hear us say no. What? Debbie, if you really feel that all guys want to do is go too far, then why go out with them at all? You're right. I'm done. A way to be sensitive, Sean. Yeah, yeah, it really pays to be honest with a girl. Is it just me? Or is it just me? It is interesting, like, being a trans guy watching this episode, because I have been on both sides of the, you know having unwanted uh, advances from men uh when i was perceived as like a female before i came out and transitioned and then you know <laughs> like navigating my relationship with my fiance like you know like trying to like pick up on her signals and, and all that and it's it's interesting to have been on uh, genuinely both sides of that because i don't think a lot of people necessarily get that life experience. I'm sorry, that's <laughs> fascinating that you actually have a real life before and after of both of these arguments that you can contribute. I just think that you are the perfect guest for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I genuinely think that like, you know, my, my path towards manhood hasn't been uh, traditional, right? To, to most, most people's expectations. And I'm just like imagining like what it was like to, for like some skeezy guy to like try to like, you know, make out with me when I was like a kid, you know, like, like boy meets world or anything like that. And now like taking those lessons that I learned from firsthand experience and like trying to apply it to try to be a more, you know, like a better partner and to like pick up on signals because, you know, I feel like a lot of men complain like, Oh, well, the girl's not telling me. And it's like, are you telling me that the only way you know how to communicate is through verbal English? Like, is that if somebody explicitly doesn't like tell you yes or no, you don't understand how to read a room or a situation. Like you're an adult with life skills. Like, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of people who like, you know, have like specific things that like prevents them from reading social cues. But for the most part, most men, cisgender men that I meet, like they complain about that where it's like, well, if, you know, you're supposed to, you know, ask explicit permission before you do anything. And it's like, well, a girl will let you know if she's interested and she will definitely signal if she's not interested. And you have to, if you're going to be old enough to be having sex, you have to be uh, able to read your partner's cues because that is a necessity to any kind of intimacy. Like what planet are we living on? I, you know what, to your point, you know, I do feel like this was, an important subject for this show specifically to tackle because I do think that 
what you're referring to are, you know, these social cues that we're supposed to pick up on. If they're not explicitly taught to us as men to look out for these social cues, there is this element of anonymity and just like confusion and just like, I'm not really sure. And to, to Sab's point about this episode, like actually accomplishing things for the good, I do feel like a straight cisgender dude could watch this episode and walk away thinking like, oh, wow, I wonder how I've done this in the past and I wonder how I can be better at it in the future. Right. And it also like communicate communication is one part of it, but comprehension is the other part of it. So there's no way to comprehend that this is something that is needed unless somebody teaches it to you. And it's not the, it shouldn't be the responsibility of young women or any person to have to like teach their partner, like what consent looks like that should come from like, you know, either sex ed or your parents or somebody who can like intervene before you're in this situation and have the potential to, really hurt somebody, you know? Like, I think that's really important. And you shouldn't have to learn it from a TV show. What I think is great is that everything that you guys are saying, I agree with. But the one part of this uh, that the episode blatantly says is the issue is that cis straight white men cannot learn these things unless it personally relates to them. And we get that (laughs) with the introduction of the next scene, which is the book black like me i'm Ooh. so glad you brought this up <laughs> the book black like me talks about a white man who darkened his skin and his own journey through racism and how he was able to both learn from it and be rewarded by telling the tale and when Corey asked the very obvious question why couldn't they just i don't know ask a black person <laughs> these response is very telling which is that distrust was a very big part of this time. And so they couldn't just take someone who's lived it word for it, because why would that person tell the truth about their life experience? No, they had to learn it firsthand from themselves. And that was the only way this lesson could be learned. And that's pretty much exactly what they're saying to these young men, which is that you can't just take female stories or females words from it we're going to tell you a story from another guy who has lived the tale and by hearing from him you should be able to understand that this is actually a problem i'm so glad you brought up black like me because <laughs> all right so typically and i tell siege this Seth, like there's boy meets world especially this season has done a really good job of just like hey we're gonna teach the kids about some classic literature and then they're gonna take that literature and then like learn from it in their personal life somehow and i typically really enjoy when the show does this well however the main issue with a black like me is that it's a book about blackface so if you can't see what's problematic about that recreating it in a different form you're not gonna see like if we're not acknowledging that like like the the main problem with chick like me and what's the movie what's the movie about the kid who dresses black to get into college Soul Man. The main problem with both of these things is that both of them have a narrative in which a white person dresses as a black person, but black people treat them like they're equal. Black people are completely unaware that this person is in makeup, (laughs) which is so insulting in its very design. And then you have Corey and Sean dressed like women, and it's the same thing. It's insulting in its design. We know that these are men. What are we doing here? These two gentlemen have been going to this school for years yeah it's like to Feeney's credit he's like if you need to talk i'm here 
not to judge, I'm here. And I thought that was a great moment. The idea that they could go to the same school and all of a sudden everyone's desiring the female version of Sean without any acknowledgement of what's going on is kind of ludicrous. And I'm really happy that you brought that up. Before we move on to like the Sean aspect of it, like CJ, have you read Black Like Me? I have not. Have you read it? No, I haven't. But I'm curious as to like black people's perspectives on it in the modern day, because like from what I understand, there are some folks who are like, this was really important because it got white people to care about racism because it came from a white guy who like went out and did this. But also like which shouldn't have to be the case, but so often is the case that once somebody from their same community starts advocating for it, then it becomes an issue that's relevant to that, you know, oppressive dominant group. Um, but I, w- I was really curious about like, you know, like a black person's perspective on it in 2020, because like I saw a tweet like a couple months ago or like a month ago, maybe talking about how that book was revolutionary in like white allyship. And I like, I saw some like credible folks like liking the tweet, but I was like, I don't know how how that's going to play today because it did remind me of Soul Man. I think what we are all agreeing on is the idea that it's great when you are able to reach people in a way that they would not have otherwise been reached. And it's sad. Two things can be true at the same time. It's great that you're able to reach these individuals, but it's sad that the only way that they can learn these lessons is when a white cisgendered male tells them, yes, this actually is a problem. Um, Because again, when it comes to Black Like Me, I'm sure it actually did really great things. And I don't want to take away all of the good that it probably did. And you're right. I actually would not be interested to read it and see what I align with and what I don't. Mm -hmm. But as Corey said, why could you just not ask a black person? And exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, is that not the help? Like, is that like the difference? Like black like me is is just, hey, I'm going to put on blackface and do this. And the help is, hey, a white person's just going to talk to black people about their experience. It's, I, I, it's interesting about the issue of building white allyship that Sal brings up because he's right. Like, this was important in like building solidarity for our movement. But from Siege's perspective, I can't stand the fact that it took that to do it. And so I feel like that's the same issue that this episode has a little bit. Like the episode mirrors some of those complications of like, you know, I, I know what they're trying to do, but how they're doing it is so problematic that it's hard to get that message from it. Well, and it's totally unrealistic for like a multitude of reasons. First of all, like, yes, like writer strong is beautiful, like regardless of gender presentation. I'm sure that he would, you know, kill it doing drag, you know, like on a drag night or something like that or for for anything like clearly beautiful. What's interesting is that Corey expresses attraction to Sean and it's not like punish and it's not like they don't make a comment about it. They just, he says like, can I carry your books? And he acts a little giggly and they just move on as if like to not comment on it, but to show that for a minute, Corey was a little trying to fuck Sean a little bit. <laughs> right. But, but it's, you know, and I don't know what your guys' experience was in like high school or middle school, but my God, the guys that I knew were absolutely rewarded for effeminate behavior when it was a joke. And anybody who was actually effeminate got their ass kicked and got picked on and all that shit. And so that's kind of what I see in this episode is like at the end of the episode, once the article's out, they're more popular. 
And let me tell you, if there's a gay kid going to that school, would not be more popular for dressing uh, in drag or if there was a trans person at that school, they would not be more popular for coming out. But it's the system that rewards people for having the bravery to try to live as somebody else, but still punishes people for being exactly who they are. And I think that that is, it's not an intended effect of this episode, but it absolutely, from the, from the point of view that it's uh, written from, it absolutely reinforces that narrative because it's fucking true. And it's even reinforced with Lonnie who's punished for being who she is. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said, which is that you're rewarded for pretending to be something that you're not, but you are absolutely punished if you try to live truly to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, What I saw also in this episode is the idea of women being rewarded for conforming to male's identity of feminism like Mm -hmm. they only choose sean because sean's more able to do the feminine movement that's why and has passing privilege exactly exactly and then once he's veronica like Corey's willing to do all of these things and like you said he's like oh like do you want me to hold your books do you want me to like everyone's checking you out why because you're pretty and because you're pretty because you're hot because you're uh, uh, presenting female in the right way well that's where all of these things all these benefits come from why is everybody staring what are they looking at well Sean I don't want you to take this the wrong way but you're kind of a babe. <laughs> yeah. You want me to, like, carry your books for you? I get that. Yeah, thanks. Why are you carrying his books? Well, we're trying to create the illusion that Sean's a girl, so I thought this would help. You never carry my books. Well, look at him. <laughs> And I think it's really, really telling that they immediately start critiquing weight. They start um, obsessing about appearance and all of these other things. And I also noted that if you're pretty, you're allowed to be sexy and attractive. But if you're not, you're funny. With Corey being dressed as his female character, Cora, that's all played for laughs. To the to the point that you both are making about like, you know, when you're genuine, you're punished, and when you're faking, you're not. Corey actually takes the moment to say to Alan when he's like questioning while he's doing this, he's like, Hey, I'm not dressing up like a girl just to dress up like a girl. That would be crazy. That would be worth, you know, all of this shit. But for me doing it from a journalistic perspective as a straight man, that you can be assured that I'm doing the right thing. Like it it was something that was purposefully said to reinforce, I think what we all were picking up from this episode. Well, and Laverne Cox in the the trailer for Disclosure, the new Netflix documentary uh, about trans representation in media, you know, she says right in the trailer, like, there were so many times early in my transition where I was just, I would get on a subway car and I was just laughed at. Uh, And that's exactly what happens to Corey when he comes out of that bathroom dressed as Cora and it's played for laughs. (laughs) And, you know, and it's because he doesn't conform to these like secondary sex characteristics of like feminine bodies that we like think about. Right. But because like writer strong has, you know, like these like softer features, he's more able to like quote pass as a woman. And it's, 
<laughs> like it's kind of insane like how it does touch on like some of like the worst aspects of the transgender experience um you know and i can't you know i'm a trans guy i don't go through the world the same way as trans women but specifically when uh you know uh sean's date veronica's date at the end you know starts getting homophobic with with him basically saying like oh do you like girls is that what this is and tries to like use that to put her down not only is that like reminds me of like fucking high school and like what would happen if i didn't you know uh respect a guy's advances or if i like had a contrarian opinion or something like that that would be weaponized but also like the trans panic defense like he starts getting like physical with her and starts like using his like physicality to threaten her and it's like oh you're not going to give me what you know what you want like what i want like you know fuck you like you must be a lesbian and then when sean like can actually like you know defend himself and like punch it's very cathartic for the audience but like trans women don't get that <laughs> like they do not get to do that they don't get to have that moment because because then that incites like a trans panic defense right and like internalized homophobia and transphobia is what leads to the murder of so many like trans people specifically trans women of color and so like this episode like very like touches on all of that in like this kind of like discreet like fucked up way like not on purpose but it's just like a, a reflection of kind of the reality that we live in and like i feel like there are so many people who like wouldn't understand that if they weren't trans or weren't aware of trans issues and yet it rings so true and is like kind of terrifying to like see in this like 90s children's sitcom you know <laughs> like it's crazy i love it because you pointed out a lot of things that we often say with this series which is that it's 30 minutes. So what they usually do is not that I'm giving it a pass for being 30 minutes, but yeah. in the 30 minute episode, they will hit on so many deep things that you're like, oh, and then they'll just run right by and you're like, okay, well. And they never address it again. <laughs> because they try to squeeze so much into an episode. And I mean, this episode for like, you have to imagine it's what, 22 minutes with commercials. Like there's a lot to squeeze in when telling a story like this. And uh, to see just point, I do sometimes forgive this episode because I know sometimes they touch on things. Like when Feeney says, hey there was distrust between the races and they don't go into it more i'm like well at least they threw that in you know what i mean like it's something for right. 1995 or whenever this was like 97 the same wow. year chasing right. amy came out by the way uh <laughs> i thought uh, sav brought up a good point too about how they purposefully casted this kurt guy i don't know if we mentioned him in the roll call so that brings us to our next roll call character uh ryan biddle who plays Gary. Gary, yeah. Fucking Gary. I have a lot to say about Gary, but T, what were you going to say? I was just saying that they purposely, I don't know if this was purposeful or not, but it seemed as though they casted someone whose physicality was much greater than Sean, so that when Sean is in a dress, and even in heels, this guy is like towering over her. And I do feel like to show that vulnerability, to show how this guy could overpower Sean was part of the learning process and something that was maybe successful in, in the storytelling. I don't know. I don't know what comes across as successful or not, but I do feel like that contributes to Sean's understanding of how to treat women, which 
if you're following the plot of the episode, is the main point of the episode. What we're talking about is all this underlying fucking shit that the writer or the writer's room didn't realize they were supplementally putting into this episode about you know, drag and trans and these these things that we kind of, you know, in 1997 were laughing at as soon as someone got on the subway, not taking that life seriously. And so it's, there's a lot there. Well, some of it to me is not even subtle because I told Sam while we were watching right before, like, like the second before Corey comes out of the bathroom the first time, we get a picture of um, Topanga and Sean waiting outside the bathroom. And I was like, do you see how many, how much signaling we're getting of Corey's masculinity? Like there's an NFL poster with all these sports teams on the wall. There's like the school sports banner hanging from the bathroom door. And I was like, we have seen Corey's bedroom several times. I've never seen it this decked out with sports and it felt to me like a way of them being like hey we need to really make sure and reinforce that he's a he's a masculine he's a man's man um but he just happens to be doing it's so interesting because that's not even true to his character anymore so i know you haven't been watching the series with us but Corey hasn't mentioned sports since season one like it really isn't an interest of his anymore so for them to put it in does seem like intentional that's why i called it out well and also like even from what little i know about the show he's not not like a guy's guy he he loves his girlfriend he's got sensitive feelings like he's like a a pretty like average like sweet guy and so the the need to like masculine like make him more masculine before the reveal of him coming out in a dress that feels like you know a, a producer decision <laughs> like that feels like a you know like hey let's really make sure people know that he's he's not like them right before sean gets um put in the dress he's go he goes i know a lot about girls i like girls and again it's like for me that line felt very much like a a, like a dog whistle of hey he's not gay just want to put that out there really hitting you over the head with a hammer that he is straight he loves girls and that's all he's ever gonna love even if he puts on a dress one thing i want to point out is that right before they do the transformation between con uh cory and sean to make them into whatever woman they're trying to be. Topanga comes over to the house and the first thing she does is apologize to Sean because what she's apologizing for was taking uh, the girl's side during the argument that happened earlier and completely unprovoked, Topanga goes, you know what? I just want to apologize to you, Sean. I don't think I took your perspective into account. Does Sean return this apology? Absolutely not. (laughs) Like that's how the show, like, in a in a in a small microism treats women in in general like that's one of our complaints that we've had throughout the series is that women are constantly being shortchanged for things that are expected of them but not expected of men not only that but right before again it's so so much to unpack in that kitchen scene right before we go upstairs because what we do is i noticed they had they had all their female characters sign off on this experiment so they had amy be like oh this could be a great learning experience they had topanga be like i'm down let's do it and that is their that is the show's way of getting permission to do this thing which is instead of i think most women would be like why would you do that and why would you just not believe women when we tell you that it's horrible didn't Corey have a sister in like the first season or something she comes and goes as needed bro <laughs> okay. that's that's long that's <laughs> a right. different conversation i was just like but it's interesting to see 
pointing out the whole female like you know signing off thing because the male characters alan's like this is weird feeney's like if you need help come talk to me it's like the men are not on board with this but is it is the show trying to say that all the men need to be taught a lesson about this like is that what it's trying to say i think so because when we talk about gary what is interesting about the casting of gary as you mentioned he's tall he's somewhat fit for the 90s he's what we would consider a really masculine jock type blonde haired blue eyed kid and when he has these behaviors that he has which is very easy to write off as the villain Sapanga looks at sean and it's like so you see how it is and sean goes i'm not like that and Topanga looks at him he goes well, I won't be anymore. And I think that it is a story of saying that it's not just the obvious jock character who takes no for the answer. It's the nice guy who thinks that he's sweet who also has the exact same issues. I sign off on that. Yeah, no, I mean, we can all do better, right? Like as men, like we have to, we need to be active listeners and we need to like put our own egos aside and our own idea of like what, our, the masculinity we're performing really is. We have to constantly be willing to like improve and, and listen. Like it's kind of insane that the majority of the population, like their number one cause of death is the other like sex. Like that's totally like ridiculous. Like men are a, a total menace to women in terms of like their mortality, like you have to like consider that. And so like this, this episode cuts like way deeper than just like surface level, like conversation about like boys should be nice to girls. Like genuinely, like this is the stuff that women get like killed over. Uh, and, and you know, I, I keep taking it to these dark places, but like, it's absolutely touching on these terrifying things that women have to deal with every day. And again, having lived both sides of that uh being publicly you know identified as a as a female for the first 24 years of my life uh it it was terrifying and now like there's a different set of things to be worried about but now it's like you know trying to like be an example for other dudes where it's like hey let's all like get our behavior checked because nobody should have to deal with the ramifications of your fragile ego and to your point about like fear like, yeah, uh, maybe you are, maybe this is lightly touching on those darker things, but Sean expresses true fear. Like Sean says, like, I'm giving him every signal in the world and he is just not listening. And that frust- what they're playing as frustration, I think to your point with an actual female would be fear. And I, and I think that that's why maybe it seems like, you're, I, I wouldn't write off going to a darker place because I do feel like Boy Meets World does slightly touch on these darker topics um, of of just like who this guy's capable of because I gotta tell you this seems like the type of dude that would have committed several date rapes in college like oh, this is that guy I absolutely started up the, the episode when we meet Debbie she goes it was all being really nice and it was a good meal and then at the end of the night I had to fight him off and I was like so we just talked about her being sexually assaulted on a date right that's what we start off this episode with it's funny because sean has this moment where he's like he touched my knee that's my knee what makes him think that he could touch my knee and it's like 
And then he goes, I should have wore a pantsuit, implying that he knows that it won't stop at the knee. And I thought that this is all, as you said, we're talking about darker issues. So it's very, very important to go to those places because what Sean experienced was one day or one one experience of having to go out like this, whereas women have to live with it, which is kind of echoed in Topanga's response. What his date says to him when he come, when he sees that Sean or, or, you know, Veronica is upset by some of the advances, he comes up and he goes, hey, I'm sorry if I came in a little strong before. I want you to know no one respects women more than me. Have exactly. I heard Trump say that? I feel like I've heard he Trump say that. He has said that. He has said yeah. that verbatim. So when I heard it in the episode, I was kind of shocked by it. And I was like, is that the calling card of fucking assholes? Is I respect yes. you more than anyone while disrespecting you? I mean, I feel like if you have to say that, if you're in a position where you have to say, nobody respects blank more than me, one, that's a fucking lie. There's no there's no way. That's such a hyperbolic statement that there's no way that that can be true. But second, you're probably in a position where you've done something shitty and now you're in a you're instead of apologizing and like owning up to your behavior and correcting it, you're like, "Hey, listen, I get a pass because nobody respects women more than me." It's fucked up. I was going to say, how often have you heard, I'm not racist, but it's just like, all right, well, here's the thing. If you have to tell me you're not racist, chances are you just did something that framed you as racist. Or you're about to go on and say something extremely racist. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that even the show tries to explain that you have all these people who see themselves as one thing with Gary and Sean, but their behavior says another. Something I wanted to get in with Gary, which is interesting, is that from the very beginning, when it comes to Veronica and even Cora, Gary doesn't seem to acknowledge any other person unless it's a new female. Like, it's not even existing women. He's just like, oh, like when um, Topanga starts off with, hey, Debbie said she went out with you the other day. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. Who's this new chick? When Cora shows up at the restaurant, he's like, I think I know all the waitresses here. You seem new. And I was like, there's just such this predatory characteristic to him. You bring up a great point because what, you know, when I brought up Black Like Me, I was like, oh, it's an, you know, the the central premise of it is insulting because Black people would, of course, see a white person dressed as Black. As a straight man, I have to say, I don't feel so sensitive about the way they treat Gary because you're right. Like this idea that he is just so obsessed with pussy that he can't even notice that he's, you know, who's around him or who he's talking to. I'm like, you know what? This guy seems like that dude. So I'm not so like, that makes perfect sense to me. Well, and they also play with the idea of like, to bring it back to like a transgender thing, like they also bring it back to like the idea of like passing which is like at the beginning when, when Corey comes out of the bathroom dressed in uh, women's clothing, like he does not pass at all. And suddenly as he personifies this like waitress character, suddenly he's passing to this dude that all he wants to do is, you know, chase every woman around, you know, the table until, you know, (laughs) anyway, it's fascinating, like who passes and who doesn't in this episode in what context. And it also brings it back to the idea of like, as a trans person having to pass to be treated with any kind of dignity and, and, and trans women have it twofold where it's like, well, if cis guy cis you know, uh, guys don't want to fuck you, then you are called a man in a dress and it's horrible and you're dehumanized for it. And if they do want to fuck you and then they find out that you are transgender, then 
you have to deal with the whole trans panic thing. And like, am I going to be in a dangerous situation right now? So like they're playing with these things that like, haha, like, look, we're a sitcom. We're doing this for laughs. But like, that's a real dangerous situation for a transgender woman. Like, Horribly. Yeah, I kept waiting. I kept saying that I was waiting for the moment of the reveal or, you know, when it's caught. Like, I I was waiting for that and I was, like, uneasy about what that would mean because, as Seth has mentioned, the very real reality of the dangers of being in that situation. Also, to that point uh, and everything we're talking about passing, it's not just something that's assigned to... uh, trans women or anyone in a dress when Topanga's like you don't hold my books Corey's response is well look at her Rude. and I think that that's very telling it because she's so attractive she gets better treatment she gets more benefits and I thought that that was very very telling of what this episode was trying to say I don't know if they were doing on purpose but they do say about the negatives of being perceived as women. Immediately, Corey starts to speak for Veronica. Immediately, um, you have Sean, who has been very talented with foosball and who knows the game, has someone explain to him how it works. Um, you know, it's like there's all of these con- this condescension and this uh, speaking for on, on the behalf of and protective and kind of being ignored like having their um, voices be ignored that comes up. Well, and, and one more thing I want to say is like for anybody listening, like I'm not equating men dressing up in drag with uh, trans women or anything like that. But these, these issues brought up in this episode are very prescient to trans people, I think, which is where my critique comes from is like, you know, like talking about cis sexism and uh, transphobia. So I just wanted to make that explicitly clear for the audience, like, Hey, not equating men in dresses with, with trans women very different things. What did you guys think of the epilogue where it's revealed that Corey in his normal clothes is still wearing hosiery? I mean, that seems progressive, I guess. Like, like, I don't know. I mean, like the idea that there's gendered clothing at all seems kind of silly, you know, like who people should be able to dress with, you know, how they want with what they want. So if he loves that he's wearing, you know, hose now, then let's go for it. Right. But it seems like it was more played for laughs than like an actual, like heartwarming moment where it's like, oh, he learned that you don't have to just wear, you know, the clothes that you're told to wear. Like you can wear what you want. It seems like it was just more of a laugh thing. And that's the problem of Boy Meets World is that sometimes it's both. Sometimes it is just (laughs) a laugh. But when you think about the evolution of Corey in this episode, from him blatantly telling his dad, I'm not dressing like a girl just to dress like a girl, to him trying on some clothes that he perceived as girly and then being like, you know, this isn't so bad. And that's the one positive thing I will say about this episode, because me and Siege have seen so many of these stupid episodes where these men just keep acting like assholes and there's no learning. Sean, Eric, and Corey all evolve in their understanding and their treatment of women in this episode. So it's a win. I think that's a win because these characters desperately need more lessons on how to properly treat women with respect. What I'd be really interested to see moving forward is how we, i.e. the series, treats women moving forward. Because I think it's great if you have like this epiphany and women aren't treated well, we need to acknowledge women and yada, yada, yada. But very much like the Black Lives Matter and all of this white allyship, if it stops there, if you stop with, hey, we acknowledge it and we don't get any more female stories that are pushed or we don't get any female writers or any more female characters, then all you've done is be like, hey, there's a problem out there. 
And on next week, we learn how to juggle. So <laughs> totally. And I, I one of the things I want to say is that this is not the the last time we see characters in this specific show even dress up like women. Later in the college uh, uh, episodes, both Eric and Jack, uh, Sean's half brother that we later get introduced to, played by Matthew Lawrence, dress up like women in like a some like a hot type of uh, espionage thing to try to avoid getting uh, uh, attacked by a bully or something. Like they don't want to get called. So they're dressing in disguise as a woman. <laughs> and Eric just takes it a little too far. Like it's all played for laughs, the whole thing. So I, I don't think this is a lesson that Boy Meets World really walks away from um, as far as, you know, touching on the issues that we are all finding significant in the rewatch. I will say I do still love some like it hot like it I think it's aged really well and like that ending well nobody's perfect like <laughs> that that still gets me that ending is very very much a progressive and as a matter of fact I mean that movie was responsible for kind of obliterating the Hayes code like it was such a good and positive and progressive movie that all of these restrictions that were put in place to keep us from getting any stories like it kind of like had to go away because everyone embraced it, that movie. So Tony much. Curtis is great in that movie. I'm not saying that because he's my namesake. I'm just saying it. <laughs> Let's spend a little bit because I know we have to wrap up. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about uh, the Eric and Lonnie situation. Uh, I love her. I don't remember her, but I love her. I incorrectly assumed after the Christmas episode that she was going to vanish and never come back. And that was that was wrong for those who are listening. I, that was an incorrect statement. But the way they use her here, I feel like is in more support of the themes of the first episode than it is trying to strengthen her storyline or her and Eric's storyline. Like, I don't feel, I, again, I don't know if we ever see Lonnie again. Was any of this meaningful to anything other than Eric, you know, having to tame down a woman who was too much for, you know, the average cisgendered straight man to just like get on board with? And that's kind of how I interpreted that entire storyline. Yeah, I was very much taken aback. Like the idea that she is, well, first of all, there's this guy who's clearly hitting on her and doing so because sexual reasons. And once she shows her, she's like, yeah, I'll cook for you. Come over, date agreed upon and let's do something that i'm interested in he's like whoa 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 that's not what i signed up for and she's like well i'm willing to accommodate let's do something else <laughs> something called find the eels or hunting eels or something she like, that, go, like yeah she wanted to jump in the lake a freezing cold river or whatever and like hunt for eels at night and he was like i'm not into it well i thought it was funny just the idea of being in water and hunting for eels that if that's not sexual i don't know what is but like mm. The, mm. <laughs> i just thought that it was really funny and he's immediately turned off by her showing interests that aren't the ones that he initially wanted her to, which is being into him. And same thing. And Eric's like, oh, what you did was you showed your true personality when what you should be doing is act more submissive and act more dainty. And by doing so, maybe men will be, maybe you'll have more success with men. And my response was immediately as someone who spent years of people telling me that I'm too loud or telling me that I'm too large or all of these other things, 
is like, no, you are fine. What you need to do is find someone who's not intimidated and leave all these boys, really, who aren't mature enough to handle a woman like you, leave them alone. Mm -hmm. There's not a single man who would share your interests and who could really handle you at your full capacity who would be intimidated by you being your true self. Mm -hmm. And and you really, like... I, I touched on the boys evolving, Sean, Eric, and Corey all evolving for the better. She de-evolves. She starts with this, like, hey, do you want to gen- come over? I'll, I'll be myself, and we'll have a, a, an adventure that I think would be fun. So later in the episode, and like towards the epilogue, she tells Eric, she's like, well, would you, ra- would you want to go get drinks and discuss career goals? Like, she gets sedated. Like, she really gets brought down to what Eric thinks is the norm. And I think that's kind of the most dangerous part of this whole storyline i feel i feel for her you know like uh, again uh, my varied life experience you know pre-transition you know i desperately wanted to feel any kind of like connection so before coming out as a guy you know like i would i would try to impress these so uh below average dudes that I was surrounded with because I didn't have any, like, I didn't have like the outside world. I was still a kid. So like sacrificing parts of myself to impress boys who frankly didn't, you know, deserve anyone's time of day because they, they didn't know how to act appropriately around anyone else, let alone a girl. Right. Uh, (laughs) so like I, I empathize with her and I'm also like watching that story. I was like, man, I hope that she like goes back to being able to, to be herself as opposed to it being this thing where like Eric like accidentally doesn't get laid, you know, like that's kind of what it seemed like was like, Oh, he talked himself out of like having like a a girlfriend who would have been like really fun to be around and instead like trained her to be like this super boring, like non-touchy, non-affectionate person, which seems way more in line with what somebody like Eric would want is like a goofy, affectionate person. Like that seemed like totally his type. And he managed to talk her out of it for the sake of quote respectability. Like that's, that's totally asinine. As a gay man who grew up in the South, I have also dated my share of subpar average white men. (laughs) And let me tell you, there is nothing like an awakening when you realize that you are changing yourself for people who like would struggle to be called average. And now you go eel hunting every Friday night in WeHo. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. They don't call it eel hunting there. (laughs) Oil is still involved. Okay. uh, Sorry. My boyfriend actually just heard all of that. He's like, I'm right next door. <laughs> um, do you guys have anything else you want to say about this? I really don't think so. I think that the show accomplished what it set to accomplish, but didn't accomplish what it didn't set to accomplish. <laughs> it wanted the boys to learn how to treat women better. And the show did just that. And for boys who are watching this episode, perhaps they learned that. I think we were able to kind of see what was kind of hidden in between the lines. Um, and I I don't know how successful it was in that. But I do have to say that there were a few times in this episode where I did genuinely laugh and like was kind of like into the story. So there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in me with this but part of being an american is realizing that half the shit you were exposed to was really fucked up so uh my parting words for it are you know ultimately it was an attempt at like a second it was like a watered down attempt at a second wave view of feminism uh that doesn't really take into account 
the complexities and the different lived experiences uh, that exist in the world. And if only it was that easy to understand what any kind of marginalized group goes through, right? Uh, but it's not. But I do think that the intent was good, even if the execution doesn't have a ton of staying power in today's world. But I do think there are, there are places for things that aren't evergreen. And I think it's important to still take a look at those things and examine them and see what good did come from them, even if there was also uh, bad results. So I'm glad that we did this episode and it was good to like examine like, all right, what was the conversation in 1997 on ABC? Right. Uh, that was, it was a fun uh, little thing. And I, that's what I do for the rest of my time, except to see what Miramax put out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have much else to add other than what everyone else said. I think it was, it was interesting to see what, how we went about this topic and how we tried to um, talk about these things, but also really sad and disheartening to see the things that were left out. Um, and, and the mere fact that we started off this idea by comparing it to race, understanding race relations is even another point that was like, to me, a really big highlight and kind of like, I guess that would be my bruh moment of the episode of just like, wow, we are still in this world where uh, sexism and racism are the only, are, are being compared and still not able to break through to men uh, by word of mouth alone. They have to be lived experiences. Sav, we have a thing called a bruh moment, which is the moment in the episode where something was just so outdated and did not age you know, so the age so poorly, they were just like, bruh. Was there a moment that you had in this episode where you were like, uh, that was that's the one thing that really bothered me? Uh, I had many bruh moments, but I would say, <laughs> I would say the moments where shot where Corey came out of the bathroom, uh, dressed in women's clothing and the audience laughing at it. That that was my bro moment. And it made me like kind of sad because like, what if Corey really did want to dress in women's clothing? What if, you know, he really did want to be called Cora? Like, is that still a moment for laughs? Like, don't get me wrong. I think drag is great. Um, but I don't even think drag was really respected by the authors of this episode. Um, it, it felt like it was kind of a bastardized version of some like it hot in that way. This isn't really a problem, but I did look it up, and this is Lonnie's last appearance on Boy Meets World. So any <laughs> character, but we basically saw this woman as a firecracker who got tamed and dismissed. So that's, that's such a bummer. Kind of my bra moment. She was no longer a sexual option for Eric. So what what use does she have? <laughs> Very true. I want to I want a show about her and the people who do want to go eel fishing with her. That would be a great spinoff. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's called Swamp People, and I think it's been on A&E for, like, 14 seasons. <laughs> oh, no. Also, can we talk about, like, the Southern, like, country girl tropes? Like, is she from, like, Appalachia and, like, has never seen another human before? They constantly press this, like, people who are lower educated have Southern accents, so much so that Sean's mother has a Southern accent and father have a Southern accent, even though they're both apparently from Ohio and Pennsylvania. 
like my like my whole family's like from the south and don't get me wrong that's like got its own issues like i'm from kansas like people think i'm from the south like it's like i i that is a frustrating trope but like she kind of reminded me of like dolly parton and like that she's vibrant and exuberant and totally herself and she gets shit on for it anyway and when she's like you said when she's no longer a sex object most people think that they don't have any use for it, even though like, I don't know, she could be the next great songwriter. I don't know about Lonnie. Maybe she went on to be a Dolly Parton impersonator. Maybe I, you know, I don't know, but to be treated like you're lesser than because you come from like a small town is so fucking obnoxious. Oh my God. It's interesting because um, we've had another Southern female character on here before named Delilah and or, or was it Delilah or Desiree. No, no, no. I'm talking about the girl who came between Jason and Eric. But she's but she's apparently a Southern Belle. She apparently is of the same class or a higher class. And so she doesn't get the Southern hillbilly trope. She gets, I'm a lady and I, I'm from Papa's money. And it's... <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it, it goes back to how we, like this show not only doesn't treat women or race well, but it has this class issue mm-hmm. that it really does. Like if you are supposedly of a lesser class, you're also dumb. Right. Like poverty is a character flaw or the assumption that if you're from the South, that you're in poverty, right? Yes. If you're of our lower class on Boy Meets World, you're typically accompanied by an accent of sorts. Wow. All right. <laughs> okay. What grade would you give this? We have an A, B, C, D, F, like grading scale that we give every episode. What would you give this episode uh, in general? In terms of entertainment, lesson, whatever you want. D, you go first because I, I don't know the grading system. So I want to hear what y'all rate it first. I'm going to give this episode... A B. I mean, they give it a B, and it's it's got to be mostly because of what Sav was saying about how, you know, at the time that this episode come out, came out, was it helpful and did it make its viewers more responsible? And I think the answer is yes. So because of all of that, I'm giving it a B, and it's not getting an A because of all the reasons we've discussed. Yeah, and I would say the same thing. I would say that I was thinking about giving this episode a B because it's memorable. Um, it definitely accomplishes its goal in terms of getting teenage boys to understand the, the different viewpoints. And I'll give it even more credit for identifying that it's not just guys like Gary, but Sean also had something to learn, which I think is very important. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's what gives it a BMI. Okay, okay. Um I'm not going to, I know you said that I like, I, I was too, like I'm optimistic at the beginning and that I was giving it a little <laughs> too much credit maybe, but I want to give it, I'm going to give it like a, um, I'm going to give it a C because uh, I think that there is a lot uh, that did a lot of great stuff that came from it, like in its moral message, like be nice to girls, listen to girls, uh, you know, talking about consent, things like that. Uh, has not aged particularly well, which like not everything has to, but I think recognizing when things don't age well is important. Um, so I'm going to give it a C for it's like blindness towards uh, the transgender experience or the queer experience even. 
<laughs> but uh, it gets a little bit of credit for accomplishing what I think it set out to accomplish, even if it had a ton of blind spots. Absolutely love it. I think that that's great. Okay, last little bit. Um, we do this thing called homework, where we give any kind of recommendations or uh, call-outs that we want our audience to follow up on. So, uh, Sam, do you have anything that you want the audience for homework? Uh, if you like, if you liked listening to me talk, you could follow at Chasing Amy Doc on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to follow along with uh, Chasing Chasing Amy's progress. Uh, it's all about the cultural impact of Chasing Amy as an LGBTQ film and its profound positive impact on my own life as a queer trans kid from Kansas. And then uh, I grew up to be a filmmaker. Uh, so that that's one recommendation. And then just despite CJ and because I love it so much, I highly recommend that everybody watch Birds of Prey and then do your own individual <laughs> Oscar campaign for it because they are trying <laughs> to not give Birds of Prey every Oscar for 2021. And as it is the best movie that has come out this year in wide release, I would say that it deserves every Oscar, especially with uh, an Academy Award for Best Actress for Margot Robbie. There are only five movies that came out this year. You can't say that. It deserves deserves the Oscar. If we're going to play by traditional Oscar rules, it deserves a fucking sweep. And even if it didn't, Suicide Squad in the weird cut version that we have without David Ayer's participation, apparently it won a fucking Oscar. So I think it, we at least owe birds of prey to Oscars. You know what? If that's your argument, it's a very good one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Come Suicide on. Have it. Oscar, it's the trailer park version of suicide of squad and not like trailer park <laughs> as in like lower class, like trailer park as in the people that cut like, fucking movie trailers cut that movie and it's like a sizzle reel for a real movie so if that can win an oscar i say birds of prey is owed at least two well you know what i'm gonna take that homework because i have not seen birds of prey so i'm going to add it to my queue to watch and when you do it i need you to message me (laughs) and then i need you to message cj how fucking wrong he is because he doesn't like Uh it you're you see you've been against DC movies for a long time. You're I you're biased. Wait, I'm sorry. I do you think standards. Wonder Woman's not good? No, I think Wonder Woman. Was so great. you don't like I Birds of Wonder Prey Woman. because it's just as good. We will not do this because we both have time. <laughs> but okay, uh, T, do you have any homework? Uh, not really. I I think I've already already recommended this in maybe one of our earlier episodes. But it was Juneteenth this past weekend, and I rewatched Roots, and it's wonderful, and it's on Hulu. Uh, they did a remake of it in 2016. It's so fucking well done. I. I really feel like this should be required watching. Like one of the, the things I was complaining to Siege about was that like there were so many times I was in school that we covered fucking like, what was the book that we read over and over again? Uh, the Crucible. The Crucible. We covered The Crucible. To Kill a Mockingbird. Every Shakespeare play over and over again. Yet there is so much from of non-white culture that was not presented to me in school. And like for when it comes to just basic history and understanding the moment that we're in, I just feel like we, uh, a, a rewatch of Roots would be nice if you've, if you've seen it. And if you haven't, I definitely recommend it for your entire family. Uh, to piggyback off that, um, for white people specifically, uh, y'all should read the invisible or invisible man by, uh, Ralph Waldo Ellison. Uh, that is an incredible book. I read that in school. That was one of the few books centered on black identity that we had to read. And, uh, it's magnificent. It can never be made into a movie. I don't think, but I think they're going to try. Um, but it's, (laughs) but it's amazing. And it really is like a meditation on, uh, 
uh, black masculine identity in, uh, you know, during the civil rights movement. So I, I sincerely hope that people go out and read that. That's my serious recommendation. Birds of Prey is for fun. I love it. Love both. Uh, so for me, I'm going to recommend, I had told Sab about this earlier, Netflix recently came out with this documentary called Disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched it. And for me, it was great because it talks about the representation of trans people throughout the history of television. And I thought that that was fantastic to A, see that they've always been there. Like trans people are literally um, in the foundations of of cinema and and moving pictures, but also just to understand as we have a podcast that looks back on a 90s television show and critiques it, it's really interesting to see the different ways, the nuanced ways that we treat trans characters and the importance of visibility. I think one of the things why we started this podcast was to get the melanin perspective of a very white show. And when you understand what it's like to see or see how other marginalized groups are represented, represented uh it really is eye-opening um and that for me was just something that i was really excited to share and i hope everyone checks it out because it's it's not only important but it's just a really good documentary yay trans stuff (laughs) (laughs) um that is our episode thank you so much sab for joining us i think this was fantastic please come back um yes please (laughs) i I mean there's so many like honestly this show really gives us a lot of talking points at times and like Every now and then it does a stupid, silly sitcom episode, but every now and then it really tries to pack a lot of heavy shit in, and it's always fun to have these conversations, and I would love to have you back. Uh, I think even if you come for one of the silly, stupid episodes, uh, you can see just how different of a quality we're getting. This is really one of the rubies. So. <laughs> hey, I will come back anytime. I love, uh, you know, I love being on, you know, podcasts, but I also love uh, critiquing 90s things specifically, I guess, and CJ. I love you dearly and I'm so excited that I got to meet you, man. We had a great time and I look forward to TC being on my side of the Birds of Prey conversation. <laughs> Not a fucking chance. TC knows where it's at. I am sympathetic to DC and I'm sympathetic to Margot Robbie. The, the odds are in your favor. Yes. She's never given a bad performance. Come on. I- I think you're right. I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, we're going to end it there. Thank you guys so much for listening to Bro Meets World. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Leave us a rating. You guys have been very great at interacting with us on our social media. I owe a few of you a couple of shout outs that I promised, but I don't have it in front of me. So I will do that later. Um, But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at my new handle, which is at I am not your Oreo. Um, that's I-A-M-N-O-T-O-R-E-O. Um, and TC? That wasn't taken? No, it wasn't. I love it. Did you? <laughs> did, is that inspired by James Baldwin? Absolutely. Amazing. I watched I Am Not Your Negro the other day, which will be a homework for another time. Fantastic. It's so eye-opening and definitely... Um, it influenced me clearly. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at a braver me at dot braver dot me. And of course, if you guys have any thoughts about this episode that you want to talk about, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of Sean, you know, dressing like a woman, if you want to talk about all the problematic issues that we talked about, please message us, comment on all of our social. Uh, we'd love to hear what you guys think about all of this as well. You guys remember to dream, to try, and to do. Good. Thanks for joining us out. Everybody else, have a great day. Later, bros.